0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Ruby Hinchliffe, a senior reporter at FT Advisor. And with me today, I'm joined by the founders of Money Means, a service trying to provide younger generations with more flexible advice. Helena Wardle, Chanel Pattinson, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for
2: having us. Hi, thanks for having us.
0: You're welcome. Now, today we'll be talking about financial planning for the younger generation. I have with me today two people who have found a company this year focused on this very segment uh, with plenty of insights into what this generation actually wants. But also I think it'd be great to talk about how advisors can use social media because in this day and age social media can act as a verification tool for advisors whether they like it or not. I've heard younger advisors saying having a notable presence online means clients are actually already bought into them before their first meeting with a client um, which I thought was, was quite interesting. So I want to start by asking you both about money means and particularly the gap you spotted in the market and what you're hearing from young people regarding their financial planning chanel i'll come to you first
1: Yeah, of course. So for me, it was a bit of an accident. I joined my dad's firm and I was speaking to his clients who were very traditional financial planning clients. um, But I started to attract younger clients. And I always say younger, but it's just younger than the the typical financial planning client. Um, And I started to talk to these clients and just realised that there wasn't really anything out there for them when it came to financial planning. Nobody was building a business that focused on them or was created in a way that would appeal to that sort of age bracket and um, so I just got really interested in this segment of of clients I guess and really wanted to understand what they wanted from financial planning because I knew they wanted it they really wanted financial planning but they didn't know who to speak to where to go they couldn't relate to anyone so I started to ask all of those
2: questions really.
0: Nice, no, so, um, Helena what about you? It's, it's interesting because we were both
2: in opposite ways, working on the same problem before we started working together. And for me, it was just, I've been a financial planner for years. I help people sort of, when they had their, oh, I've got to try and sort this out moment, they sort of, in their 50s, realising they need to start looking at these things. And I often heard people say to me, I wish I did this sooner. And it's not the time to tell them that. It's not sort of the place to say, yeah, actually, you should have started doing something about this a lot sooner. And it made me really start to think about the problem. And I sort of looked at, OK, what's out there in the market? Where do we send clients that kind of need this help in this space? And and what, what help is available? And when you start looking at what robo advice and those affordable advice propositions are about, from a planner point of view it's just a capacity for loss assessment funneling someone into an investment and it's the same as trying to say to someone okay here's the healthy food and here's the good exercise that you need to do but not helping them connect or motivate them to do that so it's very easy for us to sort of say "Yeah, they can just find these solutions online but it doesn't help them understand or motivate them to actually take action to change and I felt that was a real disservice and we as planners are closest to the client and no one in our space is doing this. And we just kind of looked at it and thought something's got to be done and we've got to do it in a way that we would usually deliver this service to people face to face. And that really mattered and it became an obsession, if I'm honest, and just really someone's got to do this and that kind of we we just are we've got a lot of energy and how we sort of go about doing things and we just kind of came together with very similar values very similar passion and really just trying to think we need to think differently about this problem and looking outside financial services because how we interact with things in our day-to-day life now has changed massively and the way that people interact with services it's particularly you know people in this age bracket it's not the typical they're not going to sit in front of someone of a suit they're not going to spend an hour and a half of their day during the day trying to talk through these things that matter they want to engage with it in the way that they engage with everything else in their lives and I think that to us was really missing it's something we really noticed people were asking for and they just couldn't see that that was available to them.
0: And I think it would be really helpful for for the benefits of the listeners just quickly to sort of sum up how you kind of approach that differently through your your new venture, just for, for the benefit of people who might not be familiar.
2: It sounds really simple, but I started completely from what do I do now? What do I do in face-to-face meetings? And how do I deliver the service? And how do I get people to go have that moment of relief where they think, okay, this is a problem shared. I actually see how this can help me. Because I think, especially as financial planners, we're not particularly great at telling people what we do. We're good at sort of saying, "Here's," you know, people think, financial advice is a product. They think your advisor is going to tell you where to invest your money. Your advisor is going to tell you what pensions to buy. They're going to help you, you know, understand where to find the best ISA. That isn't really what we do. And, And I think we need to get better at articulating that. And that's how we sort of looked at approaching it. Where's the real wow moments of what we do for people? And how can we try and scale that? And actually, the reason it's not worked that well at the moment is it's an incredibly difficult problem. It's a market that no one is speaking to. The demand isn't there because no one's speaking to them. And it's it's not an easy solution. So we kind of just tried to be very creative in how we looked at what other business models are out there, what other services are there that we can sort of draw inspiration from. And that's how we really approached it in a bit of a different way. So instead of focusing on the outcome, which is the product, we focus on the service that motivates to get that client to that outcome. And that is what drove our business model far more than anything else
0: be interesting actually to hear from you kind of what other types of um business models have inspired um you and and perhaps you think that the advice industry should look at or take tips from i don't know if chanel you want to um chime in here
1: yeah of course so I feel like we're both looking all the time and we're forever sort of saying to each other have you seen this business have you seen this business how they're doing what they're doing and it can be anything from um, like beauty pie the the online um, makeup and, and skincare and, and how differently they're they're doing it in the world of beauty and you just look at how they're doing and think how could you bring that into what we're doing and even if it is completely different to what everyone else is doing I think that actually is what need what is needed Um and it, i think it's honestly just from everywhere whether it is beauty pie or heights have done things brilliantly and sometimes we draw inspiration from inside the industry but i think the biggest difference we see the stuff that makes the biggest impact is from outside the industry because we need fresh creativity and we we need to be different because it, it does it needs to change to work for this client yeah, you're right. And, it, and it's difficult because I guess with, with Beauty Pie, I, I'm familiar with it as well.
0: And it's this idea of kind of a subscription service, isn't it, for, for a set of beauty products. Um, and it's obviously going to work out cheaper because obviously, especially women wear makeup and it, it's very expensive a lot of the time. So it's probably cheaper to do it like that. But I guess with something like financial advice, for people who've never had advice before, it's like finding money that they were never spending before. Whereas I guess in those industries, that money was already being spent. So it's more of a converting the money to a different form. Whereas with advice, it's like, I guess it's harder because you're starting from scratch and nothing and trying to get people to see that value rather than just seeing,
2: I'm already spending something. How can I spend it more effectively? Yeah. And I think there's so much you can draw from because I think it's very easy for people to dismiss subscription because of cancellations. Everyone's trying to save money. But Find any good advisor worth their salt that's not absolutely snowed under at the moment, because this is exactly the time that people need us. And it's exactly when, you know, particularly younger people, which may have started investing for the first time during COVID and kind of, dip their toe in the water, they've got no one to help them manage their composure. And the first time I realized how necessary that was is I sat at a conference and one of the robo-advisors were on the stage and it was just when markets dipped slightly. And I say slightly because it's nowhere near as choppy as it is now, but it, it dropped. And they were saying that they were inundated with phone calls. And that's made me realize that actually we've really misunderstood what advisors do. It's that human connection, that person to say to you, it's okay. It's not easy at the moment, but it's okay. You kind of just need to sit tight and let it blow over. But dealing with that on your own as a person investing for the first time is not easy. And we have to kind of bring that human element to it. And those, what people typically say is soft skills. It's not, it's connection. And that's what really makes service propositions brilliant and that's what we're focusing on we pushing that human connection into everything that matters and digitizing anything that we can just you know get a robot to do it i know that's simplistic it's not really a robot but what i'm trying to say is you can really create efficiencies the technology exists it's out there you don't have to reinvent the wheel you can find very simple ways to make your business much slicker and i think advisors particularly don't spend enough time on technology and we we had to explore a lot we've looked at everything and you kind of have to go outside the industry for that as well because if you see an app and you see how you use something you know that's possible so it's how do you then get a tech team to to convert that to something that's usable for you to deliver as a service and it can't look like everything else because it's not relatable for for people in this demographic it's just not how the way the way they want to work with things they don't want to be in an office they want to be on the couch and their pjs answering something not not doing it coming into something or going for for a massive amount of effort to do it
0: yeah of course and i think we are kind of really seeing a shift in generation in terms of the types of advisors and and they're, how they're building their profiles. I think you're obviously a really good example of one, Chanel, with your Instagram. I, I follow it. I think it's brilliant. And you're obviously building up a really good following that when I've spoken to a few other advisors who have tried trying to do the same thing. And and like I mentioned earlier, I think it was really interesting hearing. It was at our uh, event, actually, last last week. Um, we had heard from one advisor who said that he literally feels that before a first meeting... They've seen kind of what he does. They've had a look at his online profile because I guess it acts like a portfolio and, and they already trust him and are bought in and, and it's so much easier to kind of get that client to trust them. And I wanted to sort of ask you how sort of social media's has worked for you and, and sort of maybe how you've seen that change over time.
1: Yeah, I think the most interesting thing for me with social media was I went on there initially because when I said to people, oh, I'm a financial planner, 99% of people were genuinely shocked like they were so surprised that I was a financial planner um, and immediately that would then start conversations like oh okay like can you me more about pension or like and they've never felt like they could ask those questions because every other financial planner they've ever seen or spoken to is nothing like them and they can't relate so that was the reason I did it initially and then the other part that was really interesting was I did all the posts where it was really factual, lots of information, what is a pension, all of those sorts of things. And they did well. People saved them, people came back to them, people asked questions. But the real game changer was when I just started putting things about my life. And I'd have a couple of posts that were that were really interesting and helpful and then I'd post a picture of me and my family or my dog. And that was the point where people would then message and say can I work with you or what are your services? or what does it look like to work for you and it was just I found that so interesting and as I dug a bit deeper and spoke to these people they were like well you would I could just relate to you you're normal like I felt comfortable asking you these questions and potentially working with you um, and that was just a massive eye-opener for me and actually made me realize that just being myself and putting myself out there as like a a normal person was the best thing I could have done Um, and opening up my life a bit and I think it goes back to what you said about it is like an online portfolio and, and it's good to show the knowledge that I have that's obviously so so important but actually just showing that I am approachable and and relatable was so incredibly important in this situation that is what grew my following grew my conversations grew my network grew my clients that that was the most important thing that I did online and I think also a lot of companies that's what they don't always do they really stick to the the factual stuff and they don't show much human and the human is actually what is so important and I just noticed that. An incredible amount. And I think if companies went that way and did show the people behind the screen and the advisor that does go to the office and what they do in their spare time, is, it makes a massive difference. Definitely
0: seeing like some more sort of boutique firms and and smaller firms doing doing that a bit more, like getting on um, things like TikTok and trying to kind of really give people a view of who is behind the company. And I guess it is slightly easy to do when you've got a smaller a smaller firm, but I think there is so much scope for bigger firms to do it as well because. You know, there is a lot of competition out there. And um, I think, yeah, you're right. This is one of the ways to really, really stand out. And it'd be interesting just to ask a follow-up question on, because obviously your, your dad being an advisor, what he thought of the way you've kind of made it in the world compared to how he did back in the day?
1: It just blows his mind. It, it's so funny. I always remember one conversation I had with him where I was like, right, I've got this new client dad and, and she's in Scotland and I've never met her, but she, like, she's coming on board. And he, he genuinely couldn't get his head around it. He was like, I don't understand. He was like, "What do you mean you've never met her?" He was like, "That doesn't make any sense." He's like, "Why is she going to work with you?" And he he really just couldn't believe it because he's never worked like that. But been spending time with him and telling him about money means and the idea I had before that. He genuinely believes it is such a good idea and it's so needed. But I think what we've all seen is the way financial planning is, and it's worked for a long time, and it works fine. And those advisors are happy. Like my dad's got no reason to, to do what I'm doing, and he's never really thought about it. But now it's come up, and we've had conversations. He was like, "It is so needed," but it is funny. It's just it's very far apart. <laughs> It
0: is incredibly And it kind of goes back To what you were saying About people are not Necessarily going to Sort of upend their life For you know An hour and a half Or well it's not even Really an hour and a half That might be the length Of the meeting But then you take into account The travel and the commitment To move everything Around that day It's just not how People operate anymore I don't know I mean everyone seems So much busier Than they've ever been At the moment Um, But for that reason Yeah you as an advisor Have to be Be super flexible And I don't know If you want to add Anything here And on sort of uh, The rise of social media And perhaps whether advisors are using it to its fullest stability or not?
2: I think um, I think one thing I found interesting is the move to online meetings. I, I think a lot of them, firms have actually embraced that really well and it saves people a tonne of time. But that on its own is not enough, I don't think. There's a huge amount of work that's been done on the onboarding side and the general bits and pieces, but we can do more about getting the message out of what we are and what we do and our value, because I don't think for most people that's very clear, because like I said earlier people still think it's the outcome the products that's what what our most important job is but I bet you there's incredible financial planners around the country now doing amazing work keeping people invested helping them relieve the worry helping them reassure them with all the stuff that's going on and that's where our value is you know the the investments there does the long-term thing but that the actual being there for someone and supporting them that's where I think the magic really happens with financial planning. And and a lot of planners will agree with me on that. Um, But people don't know that. They don't know how much we care because we don't tell them. So social media is a great source for that, you know. And I think to some extent we we go on about education so much. We kind of need to show people the fun side of things and entertain. You know, money is about life. Money is about the things we do. It's about, you know, going for coffee with your friends, going on holiday, buying that house. It's not... It's not about, you know, just accumulating it. That's the boring bit. You know, that's the stuff that's like watching paint dry. The stuff that matters is the stuff that you do with it. And, you know, we've got to bring that to life for people better because we don't.
0: Mm. I think as an industry, it has been really bad at that. And I think particularly if we're talking about... um kind of the way I think it's really interesting when people talk about the way language has been uh, formed over time to make lots of things that are actually really simple seem really really complicated like I'm still getting my head around pensions even today because there's so many long words used for really simple processes and that's something that blew my mind when I first started learning about it um, so no wonder as a financial journalist I'm struggling um if you know someone who's got no financial knowledge um, it must be really really hard for them it'd be interesting to share um, Chanel, I know you've sort of done some research into kind of younger. Um Younger clients and, and kind of what they actually want and kind of how advisors can best resonate with them. It'd be interesting to get some sort of high-level overview of uh, what you found.
1: Yeah, of course. So um I surveyed 100 people. um They were aged 25 to 45, um, and I was basically just trying to find out what they did want from financial planning because I'd had all these conversations and I could obviously pick up on what I thought people wanted, but I just wanted to hear it in their own words. Um, so some of the things, for example, I asked was, do they want in person meetings online or a mixture of the two Um, and five percent said they wanted in person meetings that is such a small percentage everybody else was happy with either a mixture of the two or online but more so being online Um, the other thing was um, formal or informal so I also was really interested in the fact that a lot of the meetings I was attended I wasn't suited and booted I was I was very relaxed it was on zoom we had a cup of tea like it was relatively informal and for me it seemed like that worked really well Um, I wanted to to put that into figures and actually see, and 95% of people said they wanted an informal setting, which I just thought was so fascinating, and I'd had conversations with individuals I'd spoken to who said, I would never walk into your dad's office with him suited and booted, a very formal office, I just wouldn't, I don't feel comfortable, it's intimidating, I just wouldn't do it. Um, so that really sort of confirmed that for me. Um, and then the other one was I asked them to put into their own words what they would look for in financial planning, like whether as a firm or a service. And um, the word that came up like in 95% of the answers was relatability. I just thought it was so interesting because, because I had seen it. like I could see that the reason I was having all these conversations and the reason people were following and engaging was because they felt like they could relate. But they then just all put it into their own words. And um and there was some of the other stuff came up that was just pretty standard, like trustworthy, and you've got your qualifications and knowledge and all those sorts of things. But relatability in, in an industry that really isn't that relatable, and it's what nearly everybody was asking for, I was just like... Wow like something has to be done about this like this this could make such a difference putting this into practice. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be a big challenge for a lot of kind
0: of advisors, maybe midway through their careers, that haven't really had to think about this and are going to really have to pivot in order to resonate. Because I feel like we're on a sort of exponential graph in terms of how things are changing with digital, and it's just there's less and less time between each change. And, and so it's not like things are going to be the same for, for people midway through their career by the end, like it will have changed a few times before they get to that. Um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Helena, on
2: yeah, this. Yeah, I definitely think it's. Um, Um, Because everyone talks about this area having to help, you know, their clients' children or intergenerational wealth, whatever you want to call it. I think when you think about it really carefully, not many firms have got the resources to put into this, and you cannot you cannot build that into an existing model. It's got to have its own service proposition. I think there's a lot of um, younger planners that actually could really do some interesting stuff in the space. And there's a huge amount. I mean, the market's enormous. There's 14.2 million millennials in the UK and they're half the workforce. Why wouldn't you want to be thinking about this? I, I just don't understand it as a business case. Um, I think it's very simple to dismiss that you can't make money from it because lots of businesses happened. But I think the thing that we forget is they're all following a very similar model. There's a huge amount of... Um, Opportunity and just thinking differently, and we we think there's a massive gap there. And I think you can definitely build a proposition that will make a difference if you if you work hard at Because it's not like I said, it's not an easy problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I I think you're 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 right when it comes to kind of looking at it from from a different different lens. And I I thought kind of whilst we're on this this topic. It'd be interesting to, to kind of get from you some like do's and don'ts on, on social media maybe kind of highlighting maybe some of the no-nos or things that perhaps don't work on social media that you've seen people try and and what I mean you kind of talked a lot Chanel about um, some of the things that do work it'd be interesting to hear maybe some of the things that don't work or perhaps things that companies getting wrong with their social media presences for
1: me from what I have seen is it goes back to that sort of informal formal situation and online when I've seen businesses that keep it really formal and they they don't sort of like relax a little bit and bring the human out and they just keep it really really formal like that just doesn't work people don't engage with it not this market anyway they want to be able to relate they want to feel relaxed they want to see themselves in in what you're talking about um so sort of formal in that way and also formal in that what they're talking about like helena mentioned like it needs to be exciting entertaining it needs to be brought to life it needs to be no jargon like as soon as you you do a post that includes some some jargon some some words that don't make sense to just the normal person it's not going to work that's going to put people off straight away like we do it way too much like we kind of have a rule that if it's over, over a certain amount of syllables we don't use it like we need to find another way to explain it because you you should be able to do that if you understand what you're talking about and you have a good level of knowledge you should be able to explain it really simply um, and everyone deserves to be able to have that put forward to them in that way um, so it if if any of that is put into social posts, it's just it's massively off-putting and just just making it exciting. Like if it's not exciting and interesting, people aren't going to be interested. You need to be. It all goes back to that creativity and just, like, just doing it a bit differently and getting people excited. Because when you actually things like <laughs> pensions, I know Helen will definitely agree with me. Like can be really interesting, exciting <laughs> if you talk about it in the right way and put the right words together and the excitement and and when people experience that Like people are blown away like oh my god I didn't know this could be interesting like it's a game changer so people need to sort of try and do that to, to reach this this massive audience that is out there
0: yeah, I agree. I think words like decumulation and crystallization should be banned. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that they're ridiculous. They just, yeah, um, they just overcomplicate things so much. And I, and I think almost when people like to use them to kind of show off their knowledge, and that's not what being an advisor should be about. It's not an opportunity for you to just sit there and show off your knowledge. It's a case for you to just listen and really see how you can help someone is the, the main Purpose of what you're what you're there to do. It'd be interesting because I mean we are in a bit of a, a crazy time at the moment, and and things are changing very very quickly. You know we've just had a, a record crashing of the pound, and um, we've seen many mortgage lenders having to temporarily withdraw fixed rate products because of the volatility being too hard to price them. You know these are very uncertain times we live in, particularly of the last sort of week or so. How can advisors kind of reassure? generation which is facing an incredibly scary future Um, and arguably you know the press have have kind of communicated that perhaps you might feel like too much but it would be interesting to hear from you kind of what you think of um sort of helping young people to to kind of be reassured that despite these uncertain times. Because I think that all we hear in the press is young people have got it hard and that's all people are hearing really because that's the bit that makes sense. And then all of the sort of explanations to why is still a bit hard to understand. So it'd be interesting to hear from you kind of how you think young people can be reassured by advisors um, that they're not kind of the generation that are just, well, fudged. <laughs>
2: It is difficult because, I mean, even talking about the mortgage rates and, and things like that, for first-time buyers, imagine how disheartening that is. And I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that it, it is difficult. Listening to all that news and not understanding how to make sense of it or how it actually impacts on you it is difficult to take in. And if it's our own clients face-to-face, we talk to them, have a conversation, remind them of why they're doing things and, and try and um just offer some comfort and sympathy in that that instance and i don't see them getting that much because a lot of the things that's out there even on social posts or things like that, is all about fear and and, you know scary and this is the news and if you think about yourself in a moment of fear you're not going to move forward you're going to freeze most people will freeze and we need to focus on helping people take small steps small steps what what does it actually mean to you step one what does it actually mean to you working that through and trying to um, put it in context? So, yes, it's going to be more expensive to buy stuff, especially if it's you know being imported. It's going to be expensive to go on holiday in places where you pay in the dollar. So it's it's trying to bring the concept in life into what it means really to them. And I, I don't see it being done well at the moment in a way that gives people hope. Because things like this, as much as the news changes things like this happens it's it's normal cycles of of what happens in the world and we don't talk about that enough so the noise becomes really deafening to people in times like this because especially the last week I mean we've had the base rate rise then we had the mini budget then we've had the pound crash that's three big things that someone's got to figure out how on earth does this impact me it's quite tricky
0: yeah it's incredibly and and I think it's been interesting seeing kind of especially with the mortgage rates there's a lot kind of saying oh well back in my day I was paying kind of 10% or 7% or whatever um and you know talking about how expensive their, their mortgages were compared to now but there's been a lot of data coming out thankfully now to really show that no if you look at how expensive houses are that kind of cancels out a lot of the rate that you might have been paying um so things are bad and and we shouldn't be kind of making young people feel like oh well the the oldies had it worse because it's not a competition no <laughs> um, which i i find quite quite funny it's always older generations always wanting to say they had it worse but <laughs> chanel do you want to add anything on this
1: Yeah I think like Helena touched on with this generation that we're talking about they feel overwhelmed anyway in general when it comes to finances and money like we've done research and asked them what worries them and one of the things is that they feel overwhelmed in general so whether that's finding out what they need to do with their money or general budgeting or investing or whatever so if you think they feel overwhelmed already and then there's all this noise around them and there is so much noise like everywhere you look it's on the news it's on socials it's it's everywhere and especially with things like social media social media is amazing but at the same time there's individuals on there who have massive influence over people and they can say a couple of scary things and people will really take that to heart they'll run with it they'll believe it because these individuals do have influence and I think we just need more advisors getting the message out there that how it works for them specifically and what does it actually mean for them. And, okay, it's not a great situation, but we you can do this, that, and the other, and that might help. But actually doable things that they can actually do um, and just... Clearing up all all that noise that's out there because it's really difficult. And a lot of that noise, as well, especially on socials, is not coming from individuals who are qualified and regulated. And actually, if the individuals who are qualified and regulated come out and say, Small steps, this is what you need to know, I just think it'd be really helpful. But there's no being around the bush, it's difficult. Certainly. And I I think that's going to
0: be something interesting. I mean, it's a whole other conversation, but being, you know, that. Sort of seeing how the online presences evolve and kind of making sure that people are going to the right, verified, regulated people and not kind of falling into the, the trap of kind of going with people that are not regulated, which will be, I think, a big challenge for the FCA going forward to make sure that online people, I say online people, but people online um, are actually regulated advisers. Um, Because I think that will be the next big challenge. But I guess it's a a whole other conversation. Um, But I think that's actually all we have time for today. I want to thank you both very, very much. Um, You've been listening to Helena Wardle and Chanel Pattinson from uh, Money Means and me, Ruby Hinchliffe from ST Advisor. I want to thank you all for listening and please be sure to tune in next time. Thank you, ladies.